0: Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We have an anchor that keeps the soul, steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. I have a great admiration for people in the sports world that literally lay everything on the line to win a game, a match, an event. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about their activities on the court or on the field, and they will say, I left everything I had on the court or the field. Well, that's really what we're talking about in terms of being a child of God we are giving God our all. We want to give him everything that we have because after all, we belong to him. And that really is where we want to begin today as we think about our relationship to the Lord. The passage that was read a moment ago, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, I think underscores this very idea. And that is, we belong to God. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23... The writer said, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. And then he said, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. We begin by thinking about our relationship to the Lord, the fact that we belong to the Lord. And I guess as we contemplate this particular thought, maybe we would do well to consider our alliance to God. And the Bible talks about the alliance that we have formed with God through our obedience to the gospel. As we think about our relationship to the Lord, the fact that we belong to God, our alliance with him, it might be helpful to realize that This passage before us has as its backdrop or background the book of Exodus, chapter 13. You remember God was going to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. He instituted the Passover in chapter 12. In chapter 13, God would say to Moses, Sanctify to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, whether man or beast, It is mine. God was saying to the children of Israel, the firstborn belong to him. To use his terminology, it's mine. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the writer said to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, we are the redeemed of the Lord. You go back and you look at the Old Testament, the children of Israel. God said he had redeemed them from Egyptian bondage. He brought them out of slavery. What God does through Christ is he redeems us. He brings us out of spiritual slavery. Jesus would talk about that in John chapter 8. And the fact that those who are living in sin are literally the bondservant of a sinful way of life in chapter 8, verse 34. The Bible talks explicitly about our redemption in Christ. In Ephesians 1, 7, Paul said it's in him or in Christ that we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, Peter said, "We have been redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish." And so we are God's redeemed. As a redeemed child of God, I am said to be saved. In other words, all of my sins are washed away. I belong To the Lord, I am his saved. I'm saved by the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Now as you think about the blessings and privileges of being the saved, among the saved, I would remind you that every sin has been hurled into infinity. The Bible tells us that the covenant under which we now live is a covenant that affords us absolute forgiveness. In other words, we will never again meet our sins. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 8 verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Whatever you've done in your past when you obey the gospel, God says it's forgotten. It's behind you. It's done away. And so we are among the saved. And then we are said to be sanctified. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 2, He said that they had been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And the idea is that we have been set apart from the world under God. There's that idea that we belong to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said, You were bought with a price. He said, You're not your own. Therefore, in light of that fact, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There again, this idea we've been set apart from the world under God. Paul would say in Colossians chapter 1, that we have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That is the sphere of the saved, the redeemed. And those who are in that state are sanctified. We belong to God. And then we are called saints, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 2. Sometimes people will talk about sainthood. And you'll hear some people say, well, I'm no saint. Well, if you're a child of God, you're a saint. You're sanctified in Christ. You belong to him. And I think the idea is that we ought to live like we're a saint, like we belong to God. And so we are are the redeemed of the Lord. We are the firstborn. But then note, if you would, we are in the registry of the Lord. Here's what the Hebrew writer said to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. When you were baptized into Christ, God added you to the book of life. In other words, he recorded your name in that heavenly register. In the book of Luke in chapter 10, Jesus would say to his followers, rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 3, the Apostle Paul in writing to the saints at Philippi would talk about those whose names are written in the book of life. And then in the Revelation in John, or rather in Revelation chapter 20 at verse 12, John said, I saw the dead, the small and great standing before God. And he said, the books were opened. He's talking about the books of the Old and New Testaments. And then he said, another book was opened which is the book of life. That's what we're talking about. The writer here said that the firstborn have their names registered in heaven. You are a part of God's family. You belong to him. You have a great relationship with the Lord. And so we've been redeemed by him. We are in his heavenly registry. But not only do we see our alliance to God, But the writer also talks about our accountability to God. Listen again to what he said to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn who are registered in heaven. And then he said to God, the judge of all. God will one day judge us, won't he? The certainty of the judgment. Someone has said in times past that there are two things that are certain one is taxes and the other is death. Well, we may or may not die. The Lord may precede our death. And thus, that being the case, we will simply rise to meet him in the air. But when we talk about that which is absolutely certain, that which is absolutely certain, without a shadow of a doubt, is the judgment. Paul said, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. Paul would say to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Think about it. One day you're going to stand before the judge of all the earth. Abraham said in the long ago, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God's going to do what's right. And God will one day judge us. Now, what about the criterion by which we're going to be judged? How's God going to judge you? Is it going to be based upon human opinion? Is it going to be upon what I want or wish or will? Is it going to be by a man-made standard? No, the criterion by which I'm going to be judged, by which all people will be judged, is the word of God. You remember what John said in Revelation chapter 20 when he said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened? That's scripture. In other words, God's going to judge you. He's going to judge me on the basis of my life in light of this book that we call the Bible. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Paul said in Romans chapter two, verse two, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Somebody says, what's truth? That's what Pilate asked centuries ago. Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is true. So this is the book that's going to judge us one day. If this is the book that's going to judge us, doesn't that say something to us about whether or not our lives are being lived in conformity to it? Shouldn't it say something to us about how well we know this book? I mean, if this is going to judge my life and it's going to be opened on the last day, Wouldn't it stand to reason that I have some working knowledge of what this book says? So we talk about our relationship to the Lord. But I want you to think about a second thing with me, and that is our responsibility to the Lord. What is it God wants from me? Let me tell you what he wants. In a very simplistic way, God wants my best. He wants my best. And he wants your best. And here's what you need to see. God accepts nothing short of our very best. Now, in order for us to appreciate what we're talking about, we need to go back and look at the past. And then we need to think about the present. I want you to go back again and look at Exodus chapter 13. In Exodus chapter 13, you remember... God had said concerning the firstborn, sanctify them, consecrate to me the firstborn. Set them aside. He said, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, whether male or beast, it's mine. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 15, God legislates the firstborn. In other words, God has something to say about that which has been set apart to him. He said, to the children of Israel, that they were not to offer him anything that was lame or blind or had any serious defect. He said, If that be the case, you shall not offer it or sacrifice it to the Lord your God. What was God saying about the firstborn? He wanted the very best. God was saying to the children of Israel, Look, the firstborn's mine, and I want your very best. Now, we could ask the question, what happened to the children of Israel? When you read the history of Israel, you'll see that time and again, they would apostatize from Almighty God, then they would return, then they would apostatize. It was a cyclical nation in many respects. They had been carried away into Assyrian captivity, never to return again. Then they went away into Babylonian captivity for 70 years, and then God allowed them to return to their homeland, rebuild the temple, etc., But when Malachi wrote, and Malachi is writing about four centuries prior to the coming of John the Baptist and Jesus into the world, and Malachi addresses a problem that existed among the children of Israel, Malachi said in the long ago, a son honors his father and a servant his master. And then he said on behalf of God, if then I am your father, where's my honor? If I'm your master, where's my reference? He goes on to say they were offering unto him defiled food. He asked the question, when you offer offer the blind, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? What was the problem? They were giving God something other than their very best. Now you read the book of Malachi and you'll find out that God was displeased, gravely displeased because they were giving him that which to just sum it up, he didn't want. He told him, he said, go offer it to the governor. See if he'll be pleased with you. See if he'll accept you. They understood what he was saying. Now, From a present perspective, what's the application to us? What's God saying to us? You know, the Old Testament is a great example. As a matter of fact, Paul would say that the things which were written before time were written for our learning. When I look back at the children of Israel and I see the great relationship that they enjoyed with God and I look at the responsibilities that they had to God, then I can come to an understanding of my relationship with the Lord and the responsibilities that I have to the Lord. We live under a better covenant. It was founded upon better promises according to Hebrews chapter 8. And so we are blessed people. And so as we think about giving God our best, let me just ask some questions along these lines. Number one, are you giving God your best in service. Think for a moment about the service that you render in the kingdom of God. Does God get your best? Is he getting the best when it comes to your time? I understand that we all have constraints time wise. We have, we have responsibilities. And there are a lot of things that we have to do on a daily basis. But please listen very carefully. Time is a valuable resource. The psalmist said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our our hearts to wisdom. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, that we are to redeem the time, to buy it up. We need to make sure that we are giving God time in our lives. Somebody said, you don't understand. It cost me. To do that, Listen to what David said in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. David said he would not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that did not cost him something. What does that say to us? It's going to cost you something when you talk about your time. In other words, you've got to be willing to let go of some of that precious time. Maybe that means you don't do this or you don't do that. Because you want to serve. And then I think about our talents. You have talents unique to you as an individual. Paul said we have been created in Christ Jesus under good works. We are God's masterpiece. And God can use us to his glory. Whatever talent or ability God has blessed you with, you need to use it in the kingdom. Now are you you giving God the best Of your time? Are you giving him your best in terms of your talents? Isn't it something that in a lot of different spheres of life we give our best? In school, what do we want to do? We want to be the best. On the athletic field, we want to be the best. If I'm playing baseball, I want to be the best. If I'm playing football, I want to be the best. If I play golf, I want to be the best. Whatever my occupation, I want to be the best. <clears throat> what about our service to God? When it comes to serving God, is it the case that we just shirk our responsibility? We give God our crumbs. You see, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, that Christ is to be our life. In other words, the Lord is to be the hub of life. If you're giving God the crumbs, then he's not the hub. He's not central to your life. He's not that focal point. There's a second question. Are we giving God our best in terms of study? Let me ask this question. Let me put it this way. How often do you read this book? Do you read it daily? Isaiah said, seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to, to doctrine. Paul would say, study to show yourselves approved unto God. You can't, you can't pick this book up one time a week and say you're giving, giving him your best in terms of study. The psalmist of old meditated on this book day and night, according to Psalm 1-2. Giving God our best. Look, there are some folks, this book is opened one day a week, Sunday morning. Sometimes Sunday night, so that'd be two times a week. There are some maybe three times a week, Wednesday night, we'll throw that in. Let me tell you what, if that's all you're putting in in terms of study, we know we know God's not getting the best. God not only wants the best, he demands the best. If God did not accept anything less than the best under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, is it not the case he wants our best today? What we need is a thirst for truth. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 23, Buy the truth and sell it not. How much do you love this book? Did you know that this book is the only book that's going to get you from earth to heaven? This is your compass. This is the map. This is the only book that I know that can tell you how to live and operate in this world. This is the only book that I know that will get you from earth to heaven. This is the book that's going to be opened on the day of judgment, as I said a moment ago. Doesn't that say something to us about how well we ought to know this book? I mean, think about standing before God, and as John said, the books are opened, and I don't know what they say. And God says, why'd you do this, or why'd you do that, or why didn't you do this, or why didn't you do that? What am I going to say? You think I'm going to have a reasonable excuse? Paul said, study. Study. There's a reason for that. Our study of the word of God is tied to our spiritual growth. Peter said, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? That you may grow thereby. Can you imagine a mother bringing a baby into the world and depriving that child of milk? The very idea. That child would die. By the same token, if you don't spend time feeding on this book, you're going to die. Jesus said, it is written, man shall live shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then there's a third thing I would ask you. Are we giving our best in the realm of sacrifice? That is the sacrifice of praise. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the writer talks about giving God the fruit of our lips. That is the sacrifice of praise. What he's talking about is worship. What's our attitude when we come to worship? Jesus said we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. To worship God in spirit means to worship him with the right attitude. I want to ask you this question. When you, when you partook of the Lord's Supper just a moment ago, what were you thinking about? When you partook of the bread, were you thinking about the body of Jesus? As you partook of the fruit of the vine, were you thinking about the blood of Jesus? When you gave of your means, were you thinking about how richly God has blessed you, materially speaking? Not to mention all the other blessings that we enjoy in life. When we were singing a moment ago, what were you thinking about? When we sang the song, all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. Did you mean those words? Were you really thinking about what was being said? Listen, we can be here every time the doors are open. And I will freely grant we are here bodily, but we're not here in spirit. We're not here in attitude. So if that's the case, are we giving God our best? I mean, if we come and we just kind of go through the motions of worship, is God really getting our best? You think that's pleasing to him? You think he would accept that? And then what about our attendance? Is it not the case that our attendance or like thereof is a reflection of our affection for the Lord? Now, I know that the Bible says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. If we're not here, we can't give God our best. The reason I say that, not to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. I want you to go to heaven. And I want you to understand that, look, there is a standard. And God has a standard, and he will hold us to that standard. Why? Because God said, you belong to me, and I want your very best. I want your dead-level best. Now, if you're not giving your dead-level best, I don't know any other way to say it other than to say this. You're in serious trouble. You're on thin ice. And then what about in terms of our supplications or prayers? Is Is God getting our best? Did you know the Bible says that we are to pray without ceasing? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. How often do you pray? Paul would say in Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. Sometimes the only time we ever think about prayer is in a time of crisis. Now certainly we ought to pray in times of duress or crisis, but there are a lot of things that we have that we enjoy in this life on a daily basis that can be attributed to only one source, that is Almighty God. Paul said, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Whatever the case, whatever the circumstance in life, we ought to be prayerful people. Does God get your best when it comes to your prayer life? I would hope and pray so. I want to close today by asking this question. Is God getting your all? Is he getting your best? I'm not, talking about, I'm, I'm not talking about God getting the crumbs of your life. I'm talking about God getting everything. I mean, I'm talking about him being central, the focal point, the hub. Are you giving your dead level best? In just a minute, we're going to sing an invitation song. And I know that we do this on a regular basis. And sometimes we just go through the motions. We stand up, we sing a song, we have prayer, and we dismiss. And we go back to our everyday lives. Let me tell you what. When we come to worship, we ought to come to bow in honor to God, to listen to his word, to learn from it, to make application, and to leave better people. So I want to ask you the question, are you giving God your dead-level best? Is he getting everything? Can you truly say, I left it all on the line for him? And we talk about ballplayers saying they left everything they had on the court or on the field, and we admire them for that, and I admire them. When it's all said and done and you stand before God one day, can you say to Almighty God, I gave it, I gave it my all. I gave him everything. I would hope and pray you can. If you're not a Christian, it begins by denying self, taking up the cross and following him. I want you to know that God loves you. That God wants you to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. I want you to know that God would not have any to perish. God wants you to be saved. He wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to use you to his glory. Here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the son of God. John 8:24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be immersed in a watery grave of baptism, rising to walk in newness of life, knowing that every sin is washed away, Acts 22:16. 16. And then be faithful. Faithful until death, Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10. Please listen very carefully. The Hebrew writer talked about how our names are registered in heaven if we belong to the Lord. If we're not giving our very best, you know what God can do? Just as easily as he recorded that name, he can remove that name. If you don't believe me, read Revelation chapter 3, the church at Sardis. If you're not giving your best, why why not resolve today to put him first, to give him your best day in and day out? I promise you one thing, God will bless you for it. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday unfold. for more there of the Anchor strive. of the Soul. When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move